Our passage is Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. I want to back up a little bit and reread 17 through 20. Give us a refresher of uh, the context of this section within the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, we're going to read 17 through 20, and then we're going to jump over to where we are today and read 33 through 37, and then a short prayer to follow. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these command, commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I, Jesus, say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Lord God, we look to your divine guidance and counsel. We rely upon your Spirit to show us what we have not seen before to love deeper than we have ever loved and to trust greater than we have trusted. For the sake of your glory, open up our eyes that we might see. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a reminder, I wanted to jump back in 17 and 20. I wanted to remind you of a couple things. Um, first, this being the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' audience is predominantly, if not all, Jewish. Um, so what's something we can take from that? They have res they've had the law in their possession for many, many, many years. They have been at, been, had it read to them. As of this point in uh, history, they had rewritten it in Greek. They had been given the laws of God. But as a reminder, Jesus in this section in the Sermon on the Mount is showing them that they have misused it, they've abused it, they've twisted it, 
And they've even meshed it together in some spots. They've done something, as Jesus referred to in verse 19, they've begun to relax the commandments. Not in the sense of, and your, your Bible may say break, but not break in the sense of what we imagine as in not doing it, but breaking it as in a sense of untying it from its purpose. Relaxing it from what its true intention is. And Jesus has gone in verses 21 through where we are today and will continue on through verse chapter 5 in showing them this error. That's, the Jesus, that's what Jesus' point is in this passage. He's showing them also, not in just correcting the issue, and not just showing them that they can't be relaxed and made easier, but that the point of the law is not a shallow purpose, but that the point of God's law is to dive deep. It is to penetrate. It is to divide between soul and marrow and joint and bone. It is to go within the heart. It's to show the hearer how hard it just is to obey the laws of God. And see, the the audience, particularly led by the leaders of Israel, had attempted to make it easy. They were attempting to make it shallow for the sake of their own self-righteousness. For their own proclamation of, hey, look at me, I can keep these laws. But they weren't keeping the laws. They weren't obeying, and they were turning them and manipulating them however was easy for them. And so as Jesus is teaching these passages, and He's correcting their understanding, He's hoping that, that their response would be that of a tax, the tax collector in the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. He's hoping to stir within their hearts that they can't not just murder, but they can't have hatred within their heart and in their minds and on their lips. They can't just commit adultery, but it is adultery to commit lust within your heart. They're showing them that you can't just run from your spouse when marriage gets difficult. And today he wants to show them in this section, he wants to show them that they must keep their word at all times. No matter what the situation, no matter what oath they take, no matter what vow they make, or how they say it, or to whom they say it, they are to be men and women of integrity to their word. Jesus hopes that their response to His sermon here is not, I can do this, but that I can't do this. He's hoping to get a confession. He's hoping them for them to look within themselves and say, I'm in trouble. If this is the, what the law requires, I am in trouble. And the tax collector 
pounds on his chest and cries out for mercy to the Lord. And he wants the response to be that of faith, trust, dependence. Not that it says, oh, I'm in trouble, I can't do this and walk away, but one that says, okay, here we go. You got this, Lord. I need you to do what you're calling me to do. And as we think about our passage today of oaths and swearing falsely and our yes being yes and our no being no, for me personally, it feels a little distant in its context. I don't know about you, but I'm not one to make a lot of oaths at home or at work. I'm not going around and, and swearing a vow to do something. It, it, it see, it, this passage has seemed kind of far away from me in the way Jesus is explaining it and teaching it. But He says very clearly that we are not to take oaths. But what is an oath? What is an oath? Just in the truest sense, an oath is a solemn declaration invoking God as a witness to a statement or a promise. Let me say that again. This is um, kind of just a technical definition. An oath is a solemn declaration invoking God, very, very important, invoking God as a witness to a statement or a promise that we make. Um, we do see this, though, in our culture, right? You, if you go to court, you take an oath. Uh, if you join the military, you took an oath. I believe medical personnel take an oath. I think even uh, your mailman takes an oath. It, but what, what you have here in these situations... In these situations, we see um, your word, your word being put before you. That you swear to do either what you're supposed to do, or to do the right thing when the situation arises. But we don't really do it in our personal lives, as we would consider that was done back in the time that Jesus is teaching this, but. We have taken the oath and the swearing by things to a different level today. Uh, you can't watch TV and not hear someone swear to God. You cannot hear someone take, not take the Lord's name in vain, not to swear falsely upon the Lord. And I don't want to dwell on that this morning because as I I look around I don't see a lot of people who are going to be falling into that trap of calling out in vain to swear upon the Lord but if you do I want you to understand that you are taking the Lord's name in vain any time that you swear to God. Any time. 
Because I guarantee you, as Jesus says in the end of this passage, what's actually coming from you is not an actual oath to the Lord, but it is something that comes from evil. But why do we... Why, did there, why is there even a need for oaths? And I, this is kind of a long kind of introduction to get where we need to go this morning. Uh, why do we need oaths? You remember why we talked about divorce last week? What, why Moses gave a letter of divorce? He says it was because of your hardness of heart. Divorce was permitted by Moses because of the sinfulness of, of our hearts. And if you get to thinking about it, oaths are really the same way. Oaths are really the same way. Why would you have any need of telling someone, I swear, I will do that? Well, it's because either you or someone before you said you would do it and you didn't. You lied, you didn't keep your promise. You failed to deliver upon your word. So there was a need of elevating your word because of the mess we've made of our word. We give oaths to say, I will be there for you. I swear. I make a vow to love you forever. I will pay you back, I swear. I'll have it to you tomorrow, I promise. We've all said those words. And we've either all failed in those promises or we've been failed against in those promises. So what do we do? We swear. I swear I swear, you have my word. No, really, no, really. This is how serious I am. You can take this to the bank, I swear. Now, what are you saying? Well, if I said what I said, you probably can't trust it unless I say, I swear. But then, no, no, really, I swear by, fill in the blank. I really mean it. So here, so on all of these different levels of swearing or adding on things to swear by, if we pull it back, so are you saying that in the end or in the beginning, if it was just your word, I have no hope that you would keep your word? So in a sense, Jesus says at the end of this, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we'll come, we'll come to that again. But see... Here's what's been difficult for me in this passage. The Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, not just in this context, but even before, have messed this up so bad, it's hard for me to understand how bad they've messed it up. I spent hours and hours trying to get a comprehension of exactly how bad they had messed this up. And it was, I was spinning in circles. The the misunderstanding of God's word that he had given to them in the Old Testament and had been jumbled up. They were creating their own rules. 
They were creating their own guidelines on how they ought to swear. And they were making it so that they uh, didn't have to keep their word unless they swore in a certain way. So if they didn't if they didn't swear, if they didn't take an oath, they were not bound to what they said. Or if they if if they could manipulate what they swore by. So I swear by as Jesus said, the hair of uh, my head or Jerusalem. If they if if they they figured it out where if they could not hit a certain formula of their oath then either they could not be bound to their oath or show that they always keep their word when they are under oath. So they were manipulating the law. And I'm, I, I, someone else could probably explain it a lot better, but what you have to understand, it was a jumbled up mess of their understanding of integrity of their word. And they did it for the sake of their self-righteousness. And they did it for the sake of being to relax what they were truly called to. So, what I want to do this morning is I want to take some guiding principles from this section, from what Jesus is getting at. And applying it to us and our integrity in speech. Our integrity in speech. So I've got one, two, three, four, five guiding principles. I'll go through them quickly. When we're considering our integrity in speech. And ultimately that's what Jesus was getting at. When you read that last verse in this section, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So number one, every word counts. So be precise and use few. Every word counts that comes from your mouth. So be precise and use few. Just thinking about, uh, I was in the Marine Corps and you at boot camp, and we're training on the uh, rifle range. And on an M16, you have uh, a little a little mechanism to where you can shoot one single round, flip it, and shoot or shoot a burst, right? And so if you hit burst, if you flip it to burst and pull the trigger once, you get three rounds out. So for an 18-year-old young man who's on the rifle range and they see the burst and they pull the trigger once, and then it's, that's real cool. That's a lot better than one single shot. That's a lot more fun. And the, 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 the thought is, well, if more is better. So if I turn it on burst, pull the trigger, I'm aimed to hit what I want. But we're quickly taught one shot, one aim, be precise. Don't be wasteful. Now, in, in battle, there are times where burst might come in handy. For the sake of my illustration, it's not. When we live our lives as Christians, 
and our words are many because we're trying to just scatter them across. And we know that if we, we give our word enough, we're bound to be true to it at one point. Every word counts because, as Jesus says later in Matthew, you will be judged on account of every word. Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Throwing our words around, and it might only hit one out of three times, that's not integrity. That's not pure of heart. I will appease with my word and then not follow through. I'm bound to hit it once. So we can throw around our word and say, I will, I will, I promise, I promise. But then not follow through. We will be held account for every word on the day of judgment. Your words are being recorded. Every word counts, so be precise and use few. Number two, don't swear an oath to some. Or don't swear an oath to make someone believe you. Don't say I swear because you truly just want them to believe you. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more comes from evil. So the question is, if you're swearing. To elevate your word, what are you trying to gain? What's in it for you? Your pride? I'd say that's probably the big one. What are we after? Maybe our word is so devalued by people that we can't but swear and make an oath. Have you ran your word into the ground so much that no one would believe you unless you took an oath and swore to do what you said you've done or would do? So, just simply, I I told Sylvia, I said this, the last verse of this passage is just, if just take it. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. I can't overstate it. But I will. (laughs) Because it's where you just have to keep coming back to. Blessed are the pure in heart. If your heart is not pure, then your yes cannot be yes and your no cannot be no. But someone may hear you say yes and they're thinking, hmm, I don't know about that. Blessed are the pure in heart. Number three. Now this one will go back to the passage. um, And also look in Matthew 23. Know your place. 
Know your place. And I don't mean physically. I mean in authority. As you've turned to Matthew 23, I want to read to you what Jesus says again in in 5. Don't take an oath either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Do not take an oath by the earth, for it is His footstool. Do not swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Do not make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Here's the thing. If you are in the habit of swearing by anything, you have no authority to swear by anything. It is not yours. I swear to the heavens. Well, what does he say? This is the throne of God. Do you want to go down that path? Remember, in the definition of an oath that I gave, that it is a solemn declaration of calling to God. So, here's where, the, here's where one problem with the, the, the Jews and the leaders of their time had is they tried to skirt around that. They tried to figure out ways that they could swear by things it seemed as if aren't so important or that they are important. See, they, the way they do it, it gets me all messed up. Let's just look at Matthew 23, verses six, starting in verse 16. Jesus woe, woes to the scribes and Pharisees Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. So Jesus is condemning the scribes and Pharisees for their abuse and misuse and misunderstanding of the Word of God. If anyone swears by the temple, this is what they say, it is nothing. But if one swears by the gold of the temple, then he is bound by his oath. Here's how ridiculous Jesus thinks this is. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if someone, anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. Now here's where it really gets poignant. You blind men, verse 19. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by whom who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by whom who sits upon it. So if you want to swear upon your mother's grave because you don't want to swear to God, that just shows you to swear by anything. You have put yourself under God. You cannot manipulate your oath or your swear to not put yourself under the condemnation of God if you do not keep that oath. I know this. Boys, when you go back to school, don't get caught up in it. Don't be getting in this playground argument. You know something more than somebody else or you've seen something and I swear by it. Don't do it. Because one... 
that's probably only coming from evil from within your heart. And number two, if you are speaking falsely in your oath and swearing, you are bringing on condemnation from God. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. This is God's world and we're just living in it, people. Read Acts 17 and He tells you it's His. And you, were, you are where you are because that's where He put you. In Him we have life and only through Him. And all that we have is not ours, but we've just been made servants and stewards of. Number four. Pretty simple. Let your actions match your words. I mean, let your actions match your words. Don't give people a reason to distrust your word. Do what you say you you would do. I'm going to take out the trash. Take it out. But that seems, it seems, um, what's the word? Minuscule. Take out the trash. It's your word. If you said you're going to brush your teeth, brush your teeth. If you tell someone you'll be there tomorrow, show up. Well, of course. Well, something more important might happen. I might not feel good. It's your word. Show up. And as Christians, this is vital for our actions to match our word. As Christians, this is vital because what are we? We're light, right? We're a city on a hill, right? All eyes are on us. So if our actions don't match our word, and then what do we do? We bring to this unbeliever our word, not our word, but his word, and they know that our actions don't match our word? They're going to want his word? No. We try to give them the Word of God and they don't even believe what we say because we don't do what we say. We have no testimony. Our lamp has been put into the closet when our actions don't match our Word. But let me just say this too. I'm not just talking in the sense of Someone looks at you and says, Oh, he's an honest man. I know a lot of honest men that are going to hell. I want your actions to match your words and your words to match his words. I'm calling you not just to integrity, but to holiness. There are a lot of good old boys who could, with a handshake, guarantee you that they would do something. But for the sake of Christ, no.
It's one thing to try to be honest, to have integrity, but we want that to be built on Christ and on His Word. And then, when you deliver His Word to someone else, your light is no longer in the closet. Number five, you will fail. And when you fail, confess. When you fail, confess. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school class. I don't think I have to say much more about that. When you fail, confess. Well, let's say something else about it. That rebuilds your integrity. That rebuilds the image that you have put asunder when you don't keep your word. I would say a true confession and repentance before that person that you failed would be more powerful than keeping your word. To walk up to someone and say, I let you down. Forgive me. Shows the gospel. Reveals to them that we're all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of forgiveness. When you fail... Confess it. You know, we remind, we try to remind our children um, that mommy and daddy are going to fail. We won't keep our promises all the time. Um, We try to show them that in all of life, even the most trustworthy person in their life will fail on their word at some point and maybe more than once. And not that we're trying to teach them that they can't have trusting relationships, but that no relationships are perfect and that even your most trustworthy friends will fail you. So if we or anyone goes through this world looking for satisfactions in personal, perfect relationships that never fail and they always keep their word, you will always end up dissatisfied. That goes for spouses, husbands and wives, if you're looking for satisfaction in in your trustworthy, perfect always keeping their word spouse, you know that's not true. But don't seek satisfaction in it. And parents, definitely not with your kids. So parents, if you know your kids cannot and will not always keep their word, don't lose heart. 
don't lose heart in continuing to be patient and teaching them the word of the Lord, the ways of the Lord. Um, we were at Steak and Shake the other day, and I got pretty upset. I wouldn't say upset. But you know when you go to a place and you I figured out exactly how I have to order my burger at Steak and Shake to just be, oh, it's good. You know, you got the right condiments the right way. And I, it, I just had a brain slip, and I ordered it differently than I was supposed to. And, of course, I ate it all. Uh, but I was sitting there and kind of cross, and Silly's like, what? I, I said, I'm going to go get something else. <laughs> After I'd already eaten everything. And... <laughs> She goes, well, you're just being, and I'm like, I'm just dissatisfied. It's not that I'm not full and I don't want, I'm like, I'm just not satisfied, okay? And uh, that, that's, that's the feeling you will have in life if you're seeking to find what only God can give you. Because guess what? He always keeps his word. He never fails on a promise. He always brings satisfaction. He cannot lie. He keeps His Word. You can only find that satisfaction through God found in Christ. As we read in Hebrews 6, and we'll finish up there this morning. Hebrews 6. Verse 13. Let's just start at 16. We'll we'll just look at this quickly. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Now, you realize the heirs of the promise is His saints, His church. The beginning of this passage starts with Abraham, but it is, it is made greater in understanding that the promise to Abraham does not stop at Abraham, but is continued all the way down to you and me today in Christ Jesus. We are the heirs of His promise if we are in Christ. Okay, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of His promise, we're talking about us here as well, He shows the unchangeable character of His purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge... Have you fled for refuge? Or do you not feel, do you not feel the threat of your sin? Do you not feel that threat? Do you not feel that pressure? 
that guilt? Because if you don't understand the bombs of sin that are berating us as human beings, we have no need to seek shelter in Christ. I know this is kind of out of context, but I want us to understand that the heirs of the promise have found shelter in Christ Jesus from the beratement and the bombardment of their own sin. And that shelter is built on the unchangeable character and nature and promise of God through Jesus Christ. He, or we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this a sure and steadfast anchor of, of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus had gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow has borne our sins and entered into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain in the presence of God and on our behalf. And there He remains as a sure and steadfast anchor for all who hope and believe in Him. So as we turn to the table this morning, we remember that promise. We remember how that promise was fulfilled in the cross of the shed blood of Christ, His brokenness. We remember We remember the sufferings of our Lord. And the promise that stood and did not fade, even in enduring the cross. We also turn to the Lord's table reminded, we're reminded as we partake of the Lord's Supper, that when we stand up to come and to receive, you are making a profession. You might not be speaking it, but you are saying when you come and partake of the, the elements, your word is that you are in Christ. I want that to think about that for a second. You are declaring your union with Christ. So I want you to take a moment and to consider if your actions match your words. If the fruit of your life matches the confession of your mouth.
This table is exclusive. It's only for those who profess faith in Christ. It's only for those who have found Jesus as their refuge. And we have guests today, and I want you to know that you are welcome if that is you. If you are in Christ, we offer for you to fellowship with us at the table. But I want you to also understand for those who aren't in Christ that Jesus commands and calls us all to believe and repent in Him, to follow Him. To follow Him. Turn from your sins and to repent, to to trust in the cross of Christ, to believe in the resurrection, to be saved. And I call us all to that today. And then I call you to baptism and to obedience unto the Lord, to be joined within the body, to make your profession known. To not, to not hide, but to shout with joy what Christ has done. So with that, let me pray for us. And then as we turn to the table, I will ask that we um, come one family at a time, starting in the back, and come take of uh, the cup and the bread. Turn back to your seats and then we will partake together with, uh, as the body of Christ. So let me pray for us this morning.